Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Bin Verified. Help chip away at the uncertainty that comes with online dating and use binverified.com, a leading platform for online background searches and people search reports. With their powerful search tools and extensive database, you could easily gather information about potential dates, which may help you find peace of mind before taking that next step. You can never be too safe when it comes to dating. Get 20% off today to help take control of your dating game. Visit binverified.com slash podcast. Welcome to Rex Factor. This week, Eleanor of Provence. With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello. Hello. <laughs> And welcome to Rex Factor, reviewing all the Queen and Prince consorts of England, from Elswith to Prince Philip. Mm-hmm. Now, apologies for our prolonged absence, but we are now back, and uh, every Monday from now on is fully dedicated to Rex Factor, meaning we're going to be much more consistent with our release schedule. Get on board the content bus, because G-Man is coming to town. How's that, Mr. Professional Podcaster? I know, yeah. A full day's employment. It's blooming great, isn't it? Oh, I'm so chuffed. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram, where we are at RexFactorPod. Like the RexFactorPodcast Facebook page and email us at RexFactorPodcast at Hotmail.com. And we're a free podcast, but if you'd like to hear more of us, then you can donate monthly, join the Privy Council to access bonus content, and we have now moved this to Patreon. So sign up by going to www.patreon.com patreon.com forward slash rex factor where we'll be doing lots more fun stuff with all the new things on author so if you've been thinking about signing up before now's the time to do it be there at you'll be like see the first post on facebook type thing except that obviously i had to upload all of our previous episodes so we we're already a oh, 260 really? odd post in but still <laughs> <laughs> biography so, Eleanor of Provence was born in about 1223, the second of four daughters of Count Raymond Berenguer IV and Beatrice of Savoy, uh, all of whom, uh, that is the, uh, the mother and the daughters, uh, were noted for their exceptional collective beauty, with uh, Eleanor herself described as the fairest May of life by Piers Langtoft. This is um, another beautiful Eleanor, then. We have a run of them. It is, it is a bit of a stock statement for high-born women to be described as beautiful, but it's remarked on by a number of chronicles, just chroniclers, just how beautiful all of the sisters are. Uh, anyway, she was born in uh, Ion Provence, which is the capital of Provence, um, which at this time was an independent county rather than just being part of France. Uh, so it stretches along the Mediterranean seaboard from the Rhone Valley uh, in the west to the foothills of the Alps in the east. Uh, and it was the first Roman province beyond the Alps, and it was called Provincia Romana, hence the name Provence. Ha! Ah, Rex fact. Nice. 
Uh, like Navarre and Berengaria, Provence is something of a between place. So Eleanor would have spoken Occitan, so linking her to Aquitaine, but her father was the house of Barcelona, and thus linking her to Spain as well. Oh, right, yeah, nice. Oh, powerful then. Mm. Uh, her father was also a noted patron of troubadours, and the Provencal court was famous for courtly literature, music, uh, tournaments, and Eleanor herself inherited his love of reading. But her place politically uh, in the world was more defined by her mother's Savoyard family, because her mother was the tenth of 14 children. So Eleanor has eight uncles, and they're nicknamed the Eagles of Savoy because they're all highly ambitious diplomats with connections all across Europe. Yeah, Provençal. Is mm. that then something that comes from Provence? Yes. Huh. Can't believe I never put those two together. <laughs> Part of their network of alliances was uh, through Eleanor and her sister's marriages. And indeed, all four sisters end up being married to kings. So her eldest sister, Margaret, marries Louis IX of France. Sancha marries the King of the Romans. And Beatrice, the King of Sicily. And Eleanor, of course, will marry the King of England. Henry the Third. Um, King of the Romans is a is a is a catch, right? It is, though it's sort of a bit of an unstable period, so they don't exactly have a Holy Roman Emperor at this time, so you kind of have oh, disputed okay. people. So it's King of the Romans, but not Holy Roman Emperor. Good title. Mm. Um crap car anyway henry the third is the the man for eleanor he was a boy king just nine years old when he inherited a, a very unstable kingdom from his father king john uh, whose power is being limited by the first baron's war and uh, the magna carta uh, oh. as an adult uh, poor old henry spends 10 fruitless years searching for a bride suffering five rejections along the way Five rejections? Hang on. No, I mean, like, I remember the bit where he was looking for a new bride, hmm. but what were the rejections about? Uh, well, he's just, you know, it's all diplomacy rather than the oh, women right. actually turning him down. But um, he did uh, get as far as a proxy wedding, but it ended up being vetoed by the Queen Mother of the King of France. What do, what's a proxy wedding? It's where the parties aren't actually there, but it's sort of done with stand-ins. Is that a thing? It was a thing at the time, yeah. It was sort of a way to cement the alliance quickly, even if you couldn't actually get the two people quickly to be with each other. Oh, my goodness. And to think for years, emails weren't considered evidence in court. That is ridiculous. <laughs> well, but in this case, it didn't help Henry because it ended up getting uh, annulled. Yeah. Now, Eleanor is actually from, really, a relatively minor family, and she doesn't have any lands or titles to offer, but one of her uncles, William of Savoy, was able to attract Henry's interest, because marrying into the Savoyard's continental network and all those influences uh, does help Henry in his grand ambition to recover the Angevin Empire, which had been lost by his father. So even though they don't have a lot of land, a lot of money, they have lots of connections that will help him build the alliance that he needs. Okay. And also, yeah. marrying Eleanor will help offset any benefit that Louis IX of France will get, having married one of her sisters. Yeah, lovely. Hmm. Henry is also just clearly very keen to get married, which is uh, evidenced by the fact that uh, William managed to negotiate him down from an initial dowry demand of 20,000 silver marks to a compromise figure of zero silver marks. Goodness me. He should write the art of the deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wow. How do you do that? Just turn around and say no. Yeah. How about nothing at all, but she will actually marry you? It's like, yeah, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Just 
just really want to get <laughs> that's on it amazing now. what a burn <laughs> yeah and to the king of england as well yeah. anyway Eleanor of uh, Provence is going to be married to Henry III, so at just 12 years old, Eleanor is suddenly whisked off to become Queen of England. Whoa, 12? You didn't mention that. No, yeah, only 12 years old. So it's the country she's never been to, doesn't have any links to, and hasn't really had any chance to prepare herself for it. The first time she even sees Henry, who is 16 years her senior, is at their wedding on the 14th of January, 1236, in Canterbury Cathedral. Oh, it's so cruel, isn't it? It's as close to to a, a kidnapping as you can get mm. poor girl yeah it's not a nice situation for Eleanor uh, from there it's straight to Westminster Abbey for an incredibly grand coronation uh, processing along streets lined with silks banners and garlands uh, the procession is led by trumpeters followed by Henry who was said to be glittering very gloriously beneath a purple silk canopy <laughs> and uh, Eleanor follows similarly bejeweled in her own uh, canopy wearing a golden crown set with magnificent gems I mean it does sound a bit Kardashians touring Vegas it's fair to say that this is all rather overawing for uh, poor Eleanor as I said she's only 12 years old she's pretty isolated inexperienced ignorant of the politics uh, of her new country so it's not very surprising then that she quickly attaches herself to her Savoyard uncle's and kinsmen and they become increasingly prominent at the english court so her uncle boniface becomes the archbishop of canterbury and uncle peter becomes one of henry's chief advisers and likewise they see eleanor as their route to achieving dominance in england so peter acts as something of a mentor to eleanor and he urges her to cement her influence at court by centering her power around her role as queen mother to prince edward and yes that edward Yes, this is mummy, isn't it? This is mummy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's creepy. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and indeed, her focus and her ambition as queen is sort of really never to do with England or financial gain. It's always the advancement of her immediate family and family networks. They're perhaps influenced by that initial sort of isolation. She's always really building that strong family unit and then just pushing that as her core goal in everything she does. Mm. So, as evidence of that, she works hard to promote the Savoyards uh, at court, as well with very lucrative marriages. Uh, she ensures that Edward's household is filled with Savoyards, which means that she is basically has got control of it. It's people that she trusts who are uh, looking after her son. Because there is a bit of an early threat at court, because when the children are young, she is perhaps a little bit uncertain about Henry's brother, Richard, the Earl of Cornwall, who at various times does flirt with rebellion against his brother. Um, so in the 1240s, she got Henry to decree that key castles and wardships, as well as Edward's actual person, would be granted to her and her uncles rather than Richard in the event of uh, Henry's death. Oh, no, this, I see, yes, the, this is the Richard that then fed Edward all those stories of crusade that got him all excited. It was his uncle Richard. Mm. Richard had persuaded Henry to grant him the county of Gascony, which is basically the last vestige of the old Angevin Empire. But Eleanor mm. gets Henry to revoke this because Gascony had always been intended for Edward. Mm -hmm. uh, but she managed to take the sting out of this by arranging for Richard to marry her sister Sancha, which thus brings Richard a bit more into the family fold but still means that Edward gets his due. Oh, that's clever. Mm. How, does she have a lot to do with that? She does, yeah. 
And it's Richard who does go on to be elected King of the Romans. Oh, right. So it's Eleanor doing stuff, but of course she couldn't have done this without Henry's support, and they do develop a very close and affectionate relationship. Uh, Henry's a very kind and generous man, and he'd gone to great lengths to make her feel comfortable when she first arrived uh, in England. He was also keen to advance the Savoyards at court. Um, Their closeness is indicated by the fact that uh, on one occasion a madman entered Henry's bedroom at night and tried to assassinate him. Uh, and Henry was only saved from death by virtue of the fact that he wasn't actually in his bedroom, but rather he was in bed with Eleanor. Oh, right. Goodness. Was it... Um, how, was, how was the assassination... What was the, the like, method, the proposed method? Uh, just climb into the bedroom with a knife and stabby-stabby. Oh, the old stabby-stabby. Mm. Death by stabby-stabby. They love it. <laughs> I, um, I was um, hoping for sort of, you know, poison all that sort of stuff and you know exciting Edward the First type things no it's very much route one kill him yeah okay <laughs> so as uh, Eleanor gets older she grows in confidence she becomes much more strongly aware of her priorities and her prerogatives and she doesn't blush at the idea of challenging people if she felt that they were in the wrong including her husband Henry so he's a good man but he's also quite a weak king and he's a bit more open to manipulation than uh, stronger rulers so in uh, 1246 when uh, Poitou is captured by France the Lusignans who are the children of Isabella of Angoulême's second marriage and thus Henry's half-siblings they get invited to England by Henry Mm. and they quickly establish themselves as a rival faction to the Savoyards uh-huh. So previously oh, yeah, it was all just these that, Eleanor's yeah. family getting all the presents. Now Henry's half-brothers mm. and sisters come along and they're getting the presents too. Yeah, and they're going, oh, yeah, yeah, what's this? Mm. Yeah. So when violent clashes erupt between the uh, Lucinians and the Savoyards, Henry wanted to try to keep the peace, but Eleanor, always very much tunnel vision, uh, intervenes for the Savoyards, and Henry is so furious at this that he ends up banishing her to Guildford for two weeks. <laughs> I'm sorry people of Guildford I mean I've never been I don't think but as far as punishments go it's pretty good another example of her acting against Henry was her continued determination to protect Edward's inheritance in Gascony uh, so she sided with Henry's lieutenant uh, who was trying to put down a rebellion in Gascony and Henry feeling like he hadn't done a very good job refused to pay him and uh, tried to have him taken down in Parliament but Eleanor seeing that this is all going to cause further problems persuades Henry to give him the money and also acts a little bit in the background to help exonerate uh, the lieutenant in Parliament why a sort of pragmatic approach that she sees there's a rebellion in Gascony this is for Edward we need to keep it secure we can't have this massive dispute lingering where the guy in charge doesn't have enough money to do what he's meant to be doing just pay him the money and we'll sort it out good yeah I mean that seems sensible isn't it what's Henry thinking what's his problem well he's just grumpy because all of this stuff it's all kind of happening at the same time it feels like Ellen has suddenly got a bit more confident she's her own person now she's going against him in various things because Eleanor isn't deliberately rebelling against Henry as such she just does what she thinks is best for the immediate family family interests so if she happens to think that Henry's got it wrong then yeah yeah that's just um asserting herself like nowhere near rebellion right yeah exactly 
Now, the downside to Eleanor's family focus was that she was rather blindsided to the impact that this had on other people, or rather she just had no interest in the impact that it had on other people. Mm. And the barons were increasingly frustrated with both Henry and Eleanor. Uh, The excessive favour being shown to the Savoyards and the Lucinians, costly expeditions in France, also a disastrous attempt by Eleanor and Henry to secure the throne of Sicily for their second son Edmund, uh, which didn't prove successful and just led to huge taxes and a massive papal debt. Weird. Mm. Why Sicily? It's not quite as illogical as it seems, but equally... It did end up being a bit of a... Uh, what's the phrase? Oh, yeah. Um, um, like a white elephant, golden flamingo or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> it did, it did end I mean. up being a bit of a golden flamingo. It's, it sounds to me like um, the Scots getting involved in Mexico in the 17th century. <laughs> 18th century, whatever it was. So in 1258, the barons have suffered enough and uh, they decide to take decisive action under the leadership of Henry's one-time lieutenant in Gascony, a certain Simon de Montfort. Oh. Oh. So in 1258, Simon de Montfort and six other nobles confront Henry, forcing him to agree to the provisions of Oxford, which require him to govern in tandem with a council of 15 barons and hold three parliaments per year. Mm. I mean, it seems reasonable, but presumably he hates it. He doesn't like it, but he's forced to go along with it. Um, Uncle Peter, mm. for Eleanor, is one of these barons, and another one of their demands is that the Lucinians are expelled from England. And who are they again? They're the people that aren't Savoyards. Yeah, so those are his half-siblings, so the children of Isabella of Angoulême uh, by her second marriage. Yeah. So the fact that she's had this dispute with them, her uncles on this council, the Lucinians are being expelled, wonders if Eleanor is perhaps at least approving of what's going on, if not maybe a little bit involved Mm. uh, behind the scenes. If she is involved in any of this, then it quickly spirals out of her control. Uh, Prince Edward is determined to be his own man, and he starts to assert his independence by allying himself with the Lucinians, and even for a time with Simon de Montfort. Yeah, well, you know, he's um, he's just checking it out, seeing see the lay of the land, then he'll make the right decision, as we all know. Well, Eleanor has to work pretty hard to try and disentangle Edward from these various influences, and the country is gradually descending towards a civil war. Now, Henry had tried to reassert control against the nobles by gaining papal absolution from a bull to uphold the provisions of Oxford and then he and Eleanor and Edward and Edmund all go off to France and they ask Louis IX to arbitrate on the dispute mm-hmm. and Louis rules in Henry's favour which many of the nobles back in England rather grumpily attribute to Eleanor's influence um, but of course he does right? well he sort well, of he's he been asked to look at it a few times and he hadn't been quite so one-sided previously but by 1264 he sees that this is just fully an attack on the concept of monarchy. I think maybe earlier yeah. he'd thought, yeah, it does seem like Henry's being a bit rubbish here. Yeah, okay. So first of all, it was not an immediate rebuke because he's being a douche, mm. but later we can't have this. Yeah. But that is probably where actually a bit of Pope action might be useful. And the Pope is also sort of largely on side. Again, this is where some of Eleanor's links, although not popular in England, they do mean that they have a lot of support in Europe. Yeah. Okay. And the Pope, is, yeah, Pope's big in Europe. He is. 
very big in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, Henry and Edward returned to England in 1264, but tensions are now escalating into actual open warfare, and Henry suffers a disastrous defeat at the Battle of Lewis. He is captured mm-hmm. and reduced to just being a figurehead for a Simon de Montfort government, while Edward is uh, made into a prisoner. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So exciting this, isn't it? So this is really uh, a disaster for the royal party. The king and his heir, and indeed uh, Henry's brother Richard, all captured by uh, Simon de Montfort. Now, Eleanor has remained in France, and she was described as being anguished and wearied with grief. But she is now the leader of the royal party she is the most senior person at liberty and she uses all of these connections that she's got through her uh, savoyard relations to raise lots and lots of money and she funds a huge mercenary army with which she is hoping to come back to england and uh rescue her husband and son boom wow what like some sort of uh boudicca on d-day invasion of britain yes if you like (laughs) nice so she gathers this large force at uh, san omer and prepares to uh, invade england but combination of bad weather papal opposition and henry's fears for edward's safety (sighs) means that it never ends up sailing for england oh that is disappointing oh i would have loved that yeah she was to be gutted, right? Yeah, her money runs out, the soldiers disperse, and she's forced to regroup in Gascony. Mm, dear. It's not a fate anyone wants, surely. However, <laughs> she's, at least it's not I going to say. I mean, she's had worse. <laughs> <laughs> However, all is not lost, because in 1265, Prince Edward uh, dramatically escapes from captivity raises his own army and takes simon de montfort on in battle and at the battle of evesham edward wins a glorious victory rescues his father brutally mutilates simon de montfort and it is a royal victory i mean that it's got uh, it's got act one then it all turns around act two and a prince coming to the rescue at the end come on people let's let's get a proper film done please <laughs> and i am available on wednesdays thursdays and fridays and can bring my own sword <laughs> eleanor gets to come back to england now of course but despite the victory things have changed henry's health uh, diminishes uh, after this point whilst edward is increasingly powerful uh, and dominant at court Meanwhile, Eleanor and her Savoyard uh, family network are never to enjoy the same level of influence again that they'd had before the war. Why is that? Just because it's now all about Edward. Oh, a brilliant setup for the the um, sequel, though. You know, Edward the Man, when it is the father in decline, and oh, it's just it's perfect. Isn't it's not it? his story though. Today, it's Eleanor of Provence's story, of course. Oh yeah. so uh, in 1270 Edward leaves the country because he's going off on a crusade and interestingly presumably because he is conscious of his mother's unpopularity she's given no role in the arrangements for his lands or indeed uh, the guardianship of his children despite her experience and leadership capabilities that's odd 
Yeah, his brother Edmund um, puts his children in Eleanor's command. So it's presumably a political decision that Edward feels like if he wants the country to be stable, then he needs to not be seen to be giving his mother this mm. prominence. Okay. Like how long? How long before this was Boudicca on the waves bit? Uh, that's six years ago. Oh, right, so she's still in the, her prime. Like, yeah, this so is, because obviously, as you said, she's um, 16 years younger than Henry, so although his health is diminishing, she's just sort of early 50s at this point, so she's got plenty of energy. It's not that she couldn't cope with it. It's a political decision. Mm. Mm. Well, uh, my, ours is not to question Edward. <laughs> um, it's while Edward is away that Henry III dies in 1272. Um, Eleanor had taken preparatory measures in the months before Henry died, so she'd secured control of various wardships, secured control of Windsor Castle, and had also ordered a survey of all of her lands just a few days before Henry died. Why would you do that? Get your house value. Well, yeah, well, the thing is that although obviously they'd won the war, tensions are still there between uh, the monarchy and the nobles. And she's actually a much more isolated figure now. All of her children are out of the country with Edward and Edmund uh, both off in the Crusades. Her Savoyard uncles are now dead. Her sister's dead. Um, Henry's brother Richard is dead. So actually, if things do go south, she's not got as much support around her as she would have done 10, 20 years ago. Oh, I'm surprised it's that um, dodgy. Well, it's not that it necessarily is dodgy so much as that she's preparing for the eventuality, in case it is. She's just, yeah, yeah. And Thankfully, there is no great unrest on Henry's death, and when Edward does return in 1274, he is crowned king without facing any opposition. Yeah. Eleanor, though, once again, is given no political role as Queen Dowager, though she does pretty much raise two of Edward's children, uh, Henry and Eleanor, uh, appropriately enough, uh, and devastated Mm. when uh, young Henry dies in her care in 1274, so she founds a priory in Guildford in his memory. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I had a delightful two weeks there when I was a young girl. I think I'll go to Guildford. Uh, She suffers further tragedy the following year, 1275, and both of her daughters die just one month apart. Oh, gosh. Uh, How old are they? They're both in in their 30s. Oh, man. Of of the same thing? I mean, that's quite just a horrible coincidence. I think probably related to childbirth. Certainly one of Uh. them is. Anyway, Eleanor retires from court uh, to the convent of Amesbury, which is a daughter house of Fontevraud. Um, remind me. Uh, so that's the where Henry II, Eleanor of Aquitaine, Richard the Lionheart, Isabel of Angoulême. Oh, yeah. Are all buried. Uh, she styles herself Eleanor, humble nun of the Order of Fontevraud of the convent of Amesbury. Though in reality, she's not quite so humble because she breaks with convention by retaining all of her lands and wealth. <laughs> Good for her. And also extensive uh, reven- renovation work is done at Amesbury before she arrives so that it meets all of her comforts and requirements. Yeah, it's not a not a priory, is it? That's a priory in the sort of modern detox hotel <laughs> sense of the word. Uh, she does remain in touch with uh, court, though. She writes uh, various uh, affectionate letters to Edward, asking for favours for her family friends, offering some unasked-for advice, chides him for not writing back frequently <laughs> enough. <laughs> oh, dear. I wonder why uh, she's joined by two of her granddaughters uh, at Amesbury Eleanor who would go on to become the abbess of Fontevraud 
And uh, Mary, who, given stories of subsequent gambling and sexual liaisons, is probably not well suited to being a nun. Oh, right. And then finally, on the 24th of June, 1291, Eleanor of Provence died at the age of 68 and was buried, according to the convention, at Amesbury. Nice. That's a good good long um, period of time for her longevity score. Uh, unfortunately, her bones are now lost, so we can't do a pilgrimage for Eleanor of Provence. Uh, Amesbury passed into the hands of Edward Seymour, brother of Jane, after the dissolution in uh, 1536 under Henry mm. VIII and Edward Seymour pulled down the uh, decaying church leading to the destruction of her tomb so her bones are lost that, that Henry mm. Tudor I mean Henry VIII <laughs> not a fan <laughs> anyway that was the life and consortship of Eleanor of Provence we'll have a quick break and then it'll be time to review her this episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg in Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like UGG, Samsung, and Expedia. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use. And you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. That's Rakuten. Battleliness! She has a very strong sense of her prerogatives, as we mentioned in the episode, not afraid to take anyone on in pursuit of them, including her own husband. Uh, Henry was shocked to discover that Eleanor had appointed a candidate for a church in one of her own wardships, uh, robbing him of the chance to appoint his own candidate. Uh, and when he heard that she'd already got someone in place, he decried, How high does the arrogance of woman rise if it is not restrained? Mm. So... He dismissed her man and put his own guy in, but Eleanor wasn't standing for that, so she took Henry to court. Her husband? Her husband. The king. But not actually, like, it would be sort of like taking the office of appointments to court rather than him, right? Well, I mean, he's not in the dock, but nevertheless, it's his interest and her yeah. interests. He uses 21 lawyers, but uh, loses the case. <laughs> oh, that is... Is that a Rex first? I mean, is that a legal first? <laughs> Bit of a public humiliation for Henry. Yeah. He's meant to be appointed by God, isn't he, at this point? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Once again, Henry, Henry in a debating situation does not seem to be a strong candidate. Yeah, true. Now, her main battliness, though, uh, is in the Second Baron's War. Uh, she was always instinctively more determined on strong action than Henry. Um, it was a point where, uh, in 1263, uh, during a rebellion, Eleanor and Henry were holed up in the Tower of London. Um, Henry wants to come to terms with the nobles pretty much straight away, but Eleanor completely at odds with him. And according to the St. Albans Chronicler, she strove against it with all her strength and got so frustrated with him that she actually decided to abandon him in the Tower of London and try to get to Edward in Windsor, who was various, uh, taking possession of various castles. That's amazing, That because she's, in, in the medieval sense of it, being the bloke about the situation, wanting to mm. fight and all this. She didn't actually make it to Edward, uh, however. She was chased off by a mob, and uh, when Henry wouldn't let her back in, she had to stay with the Bishop <laughs> of London until she was forgiven. He wouldn't let her back in. Oh, he's petty as well. <laughs> so she does suffer a few sort of reversals. So she she doesn't always win against Henry. So we mentioned with the Lucinians and the Savoyards when they were clashing and she supports the Savoyards and she got sent off to Guildford. She was only allowed back on the proviso that she distributed gifts to both sides and made a very public display of non-partisanship. Right. So she's not always walking all over him. Mm. But I mean, yeah. She eventually she has to normality has to be shown to be resuming. Yeah. But in the crisis, she will sort of rebel to get it done, and then whatever. Yeah, Henry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, she's brilliant. He's rubbish. And of course, the big crisis is when Henry and Edward were captured at the Battle of Lewis, and Eleanor became the de facto leader of the royalist cause. She'd been Thank preparing goodness. for the war or for a war for years. She'd been distributing gifts to buy alliance in Flanders as early as 1259. She now made full use of her numerous contacts on the continent and embarked on a furious fundraising campaign, took out loans from Florentine bankers, sold off three bishoprics, and pawned some of the crown jewels to Louis IX. Yeah. I mean, you've got to do what you've got to do. I honestly think, in that situation, the best thing that could have happened to that side was Henry being permanently out of the way with in prison and her being given the chance to actually do something. So with all of this money, she rose, uh, raised a very substantial uh, mercenary army, a son Omar, which consisted of soldiers from Flanders, Brittany, Savoy, Spain, Germany, as well as her own troops and some English ships that she requisitioned from Gascony. Mm. Brilliant. Brilliant, but the big negative, though, must be the fact that the invasion force never actually set sail. Yeah, but she can't, she's, you know, weather. There was weather, uh, also the papal legate uh, who actually owned the land at St. Omer didn't approve of the invasion. Um, and also Henry was concerned at what de Montfort might do to Edward, given that Edward was a hostage. Um, it's probably unlikely that he would actually have gone to the step of murdering the, the heir to the throne, but still a bit of concern there. Well, I thought Henry was banged up with Edward. Well, Henry is being used as a figurehead for the government. But Henry was able to get a message to her and say, don't do it. Well, he's able to get a message to her that has been approved by the barons. Oh, so maybe she just bottled it. I don't think she did. It's probably... It's too far to say that she bottled it because there are a lot of things that don't quite go her way. But equally, 
when giving her the credit for raising this big army, the negative is the fact that she wasn't actually able to get it to go to England. So ultimately, all that she did was raise a lot of debt. Mm. Oh, it could have been amazing if she weren't stymied by weather and um, Pope action and Henry being an idiot. So what are you thinking for a score for Battleiness? I'm really good. She's taken Henry to court. Yeah. She stands up to him all the time to the point where he has to send her away to Guildford for two weeks. She's always prepared to take charge in the crisis and to get things back to normal if necessary, however, you know, patch things up. Mm. Uh, a pragmatic woman. And then D-Day chariots of fire across the um, across the waters. Yeah, okay, didn't get to the water, but who else at this time, apart from Eleanor, would have pulled together a, a navy, a naval assault on Britain? It's brilliant. I can't remember if we do it out of 10 or, far, or ten. 20. <laughs> 10, right. We um, both do it out of 10, so it ends up being out of 20. I think if, if that invasion had happened, whatever the outcome, I would have given a big, big, big 10. But I'm taking it down to an 8. Because it's meant to be about asserting her... Well, being assertive is as a as a consort, isn't it? Yeah, I was thinking eight as well. Like you said, if she had actually launched that invasion and come mm. to England with it, then yeah, I think we're definitely talking a ten. That would have been amazing. But she does have to be marked down for the fact that she never actually manages to get it to England. No. But we're looking for, you know independence of action standing up for herself all of that sort of thing and the fact that she's raising an army taking that level of intervention in military affairs is also very very impressive anyway uh, that is very impressive because that is 16 out of 20 for battliness scandal well un- unfortunately no i don't really think i've got anything to go on here she's a controversial figure she's occasionally at odds with henry and indeed with edward but I'm not sure that her behaviour is ever really scandalous. As I said, we've talked... about enough to go to Guildford. Yeah, but again, that's that's a dispute rather than that. It's not that, you know, she was suspected of having an affair with a noble or anything like that. She's at odds yeah. with Henry. So I fear there might need to be a zero for scandal. Oh, actually, nothing. Well, I don't have any examples of... Uh, no. Juicy bits or affairs or corruption or... Oh. Well, I mean, she was jolly busy, I suppose. Mm. Subjectivity. So, after a century of dysfunctional Plantagenet rule, one of Eleanor's great achievements is to create a strong nuclear family unit of her husband and children. Um, mm. This is in stark contrast to what we've had before. Obviously, Henry II imprisoning Eleanor of Aquitaine, Richard the Lionheart <laughs> yeah. neglecting Berengaria, Isabella of Angoulême's rather dubious loyalty uh, to Henry as mother. Um, although, as we said, Eleanor sometimes acts against Henry on individual issues. They were a strong partnership. They did have a close relationship with each other. Uh, and indeed, she has a very close relationship with all of her children. Uh, she nursed Edward for three weeks when he fell ill at an all-male monastery, much to the annoyance of the monks who didn't really want <laughs> to be there. Uh, fought for her son Edmund to become king of Sicily as we said Uh, her daughter Margaret who became uh, the queen of Scots returned from Scotland to Windsor so that Eleanor could be present at the birth of her first child 
And when Edward gets married to Eleanor of Castile, Eleanor of Provence ensures that uh, her daughter-in-law is welcomed into the family and works with her to persuade Edward to delay the marriage of his eldest daughter on account of her being too young, something of which both Eleanors had personal experience. Obviously, Eleanor of Provence only 12 when she was married to Henry. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, my goodness. This is the same person who was... 12, 12 yeah. when she came over. Mm. What a woman. Uh, as a child of Provence, she's a highly cultured and well-read woman. She purchased numerous romances on figures such as Charlemagne, Alexander the Great and William the Conqueror uh, and had a particular interest in King Arthur. Mm. Uh, there, are only, there are over 20 manuscripts associated with Eleanor of Provence, either that she owned or that she commissioned, uh, including an embellished history of Edward the Confessor, which was dedicated to her by Matthew Paris. Hence the son's name? Well, yes, because um, Henry III had something of an Edward uh, the Confessor obsession. So that's something that Eleanor is sort of brought into by Henry early on and that she continues. So Edward I is named after Edward the Confessor. Uh, she introduced various luxuries to England, not only French fashions, but also glazed windows, tiled floors, curtains and even table forks. Really? I think that Glazed might be table forces in a sort of a carving thing rather than cutlery. Yeah. Okay. Well, but still, I, I mean, imagine life without a glazed window. Grim. Uh, she designed gardens and also introduced the rose to English royal insignia. So Edward adopted the golden rose of Provence uh, in his royal arms, while Edmund, as the Earl of Lancaster, adopted a red rose. Huh. And then, oh, that's amazing. Wow, that's where that comes from. Now, she's probably the most powerful queen consort since Matilda of Boulogne, uh, Stephen's wife. Now, that might yeah, seem yeah. surprising given some of the people that we've done in our previous run, but both Eleanor of Aquitaine and Isabella of Angoulême were notable, really, for their time as queen mother, whereas Eleanor of Provence is powerful oh, yeah. and influential as queen consort. Yeah. Yeah. So she's going to get mega points for this. So she owned extensive lands and wardships that she could do with as she pleased, standardised the use of Queen's gold, uh, which was a 10% levy on voluntary fines of 10 marks or more by the king. And uh, in 1253, when Henry went to Gascony, she acted as regent for him. So she sat in judgment in the king's court, heard pleas in council in the exchequer, um, she issues letters patent, controls royal finances, receives embassy, even called a parliament, though that didn't actually end up meeting and she was so dedicated mm. she only stopped work for a matter of days after giving birth to her fifth child with matthew paris noting that she rose well from her childbed yeah she's a force of nature yeah. most notably of course as she said took on the leadership role of the royal cause from 1264 to 65 after evesham and actually this is all quite reminiscent really of matilda of boulogne because after stephen was captured in the battle of lincoln in 1141 it was matilda of boulogne who then took control of his royal forces. Mm. Although obviously Matilda Boulogne mm. did actually succeed with her campaign. Mm. Still, it's jolly good. It's jolly good, but there are some negatives. Like Henry, Eleanor's uh, financial affairs were not terribly well managed. When Henry died, she had debts of around £20,000, which in today's Lots. money is about £14.5 and this is despite the fact that she'd taken £15,000 from a levy on clerical incomes after the Barons' War. Mm. 
Wow, that is bad. Now, in her defence, some of these debts are because of all the effort she had to go to uh, in raising that mercenary force and doing stuff mm. for the uh, the good of the royal cause. But given that it never set sail, she doesn't really have an awful lot to show for these huge debts. Yeah, yeah. She also has a uh, slightly questionable attitude towards uh, England's Jewish community. Oh, that's where he gets it from. Mm. So her father had respected and employed Jews uh, in Provence, but her attitude seems to have been rather less amicable. Uh, in Henry's reign, she took a lot of money from taxes aimed at the Jewish community. And then in 1275, presumably at the point at which she'd taken all the money they'd got to give her, she asked Edward that all Jews on her land be expelled. And he did. Well, indeed. Right? Now, there's there's no evidence for this, but there is a strong perception that she was an influence behind the decision to ultimately expel the Jews from England altogether. Yeah, it wasn't Edward, it was his Now, mom. she actually died a year before this happened. Even so, the fact that there's this perception about Alain of Provence does suggest that she's at the very least not seen as being a friend of the community. Yeah, well, she's certainly not, yeah. Now... You've been very impressed by Eleanor's leadership role in the Second Baron's War. Yeah. But uh, there is a downside to that. And indeed, the Chronicle of Melrose felt that she had uh, more than a little bit of responsibility for what went wrong. Eleanor of Provence, Queen of England, was believed to be the root, the fermenter and disseminator of all the discord which was sown between her husband, King Henry, and the barons of his kingdom. Yeah, but if something goes wrong, what do you do? You blame the lady. Well, it's obviously it's a gross exaggeration, but Eleanor's actions really were a factor in the discontent among the barons. Um, I mentioned how Henry um, had to take this oath to uphold the provisions of Oxford. Eleanor is also forced to take an oath to uphold the provisions, which you wouldn't necessarily expect a queen to do unless they obviously saw her as being a prime antagonist in the disputes yeah and that powerful powerful but also unpopular the black hole that is henry's royal finances is partly uh eleanor's well not her fault but she contributes to it so her very expensive tastes in fashions and whatnot the disastrous sicilian business that you mentioned with the son edmund taking on that huge papal debt and spending loads of money getting absolutely nowhere oh, yeah that's after the provisions of oxford we also have the provisions of westminster which had clauses such as a committee which would rule on the sale of wardships in the king's gift and in what areas the queen's gold tariff would apply so in other words these were reform measures aimed directly at Eleanor. So it's mm. not just the king is Same mismanaging could, his kingdom, yeah. it's the queen is mismanaging as well. There was huge discontent at the ubiquity of foreigners at court, because there were over 170 Savoyards in England, uh, thanks to Eleanor's, mm. uh, Eleanor's influence. And she arranges lots of illustrious marriages for her Savoyard kinsmen, and it's usually male Savoyards marrying illustrious English heiresses. So that's frustrating all the ambitions of English noble families because you're seeing lands and titles being given away to these foreigners. Coming over here, <laughs> taking our free money. Indeed. Um, when, her, when Richard uh, marries her sister, which again obviously is something that she has a bit of a helping hand in, Matthew Paris recorded, the whole community in England taking it ill began to fear that the whole business of the kingdom would be disposed of at the will of the queen and her sister. 
Not Now, whilst it was nothing new for an English queen to be foreign, Eleanor seems to have made very little effort to establish herself as an English figure. She has no real personal contact with English noble families. She imports all of her books and her clothes. There's a sense that she always looks down on provincial England and sees her real hinterland as being these European networks that she has. And this is all exacerbated by her leadership in the war when she raises a huge European mercenary army and thus, for the perspective of the common folk who are forced to come out to muster all along the coast ready to face off the invasion, we've got a foreign queen raising a foreign army getting ready to come over and murder and plunder good old common Englishmen. Yeah. Uh, Eleanor was particularly unpopular in London. Uh, during her regency in 1253, she rigidly enforced a tax due to her on boats unloading at Queenhithe, and two sheriffs were arrested for failing to cooperate with her demands. Uh, in 1257, England suffered a terrible harvest leading to famine, but she still demanded that the citizens pay her the backlog of Queen's gold. Now, the full extent of what Londoners thought of her was shown in 1263. As we mentioned, this was when Henry and Eleanor um, are holed up in the Tower of London. Eleanor decides to leave Henry behind and seek out Edward. Uh, but the annals of Dunstable describe what actually happened. The Queen left the Tower by the Thames on her way to Windsor by boat and came to London Bridge. When the Londoners assailed her and her men shamefully with foul and base words and even casting stones... So that, freed with difficulty by the mayor of London, and driven by necessity, she went back to the tower. So apparently the mob was shouting, Down with so, the witch! Let's drown her! So if the mayor of London hadn't come along, who was actually quite a radical reformer, but he obviously had his limits, then the situation really could have been very serious indeed. So, yeah, so we could view this as El Henry saying to Eleanor, Eleanor, love, they hate you. You know, don't go out there. She goes, I will do what I like. And um, storms yeah. off and sure enough gets pelted with all sorts of things and has to come back, but isn't let in. And she hides with the bishop. It's not quite so grand, <laughs> is it? Um, she's also seems to have something of a vindictive streak. So after the war, she persuades Henry in 1270 to grant her custody of London Bridge, but she refuses to pay for its upkeep. So when Edward becomes king, the citizens petition him for relief, complaining that she taketh all the tolls and careth not how the bridge is kept. And indeed, she ultimately resigns in uh, 1281 when some of the arches do actually collapse. It gets that mm. bad. Are they repaired? Well, ultimately, oh, they are, yes. But along with Matilda of Scotland, Eleanor of Provence is another candidate for being the My Fair Lady in the nursery rhyme London Bridge is Falling Down. Huh. Yeah. Oh, Rex fact, I'll have that. Now, it's notable that uh, overall, Eleanor's legacy in queenship is not positive. No foreign queen afterwards is allowed to retain her countrymen at court after Eleanor Provence and uh, the reaction to the Savoyards. Edward, although he admires his mother, isn't willing to give anything like that sort of power to his queen, even though, as we'll see, he does love her very much, let alone give any power to his mother. So he is obviously very clearly aware of just how unpopular she is and the extent to which that led to partly the rebellion and a lot of the discontent. Yeah. But many historians believe Eleanor of Provence may well be the most unpopular queen in English history. Oh, you've, you've taken it all away. It's a tricky one, isn't it? There's, 
Lots of stuff that shows she's very impressive, very competent. So as I said at the start, her focus is always that family unit and those strengths. And she's very much got tunnel vision about that. So she really just doesn't care about the other stuff. She's not really interested in being Queen of England in the sense of the good of the English people, any of that. It really is the family and nothing else. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she sounds, she doesn't really like them <laughs> yeah. by the sounds of things. Oh, dear. Oh, it was looking so rosy, G-Man. Yeah, so in terms of her competence and, like, would you trust her ability to administer uh, a nation's affairs, you'd say, well, yes, she, she's probably pretty competent. She could do 100%. it. 100%. But would you want her as your queen? Well, the first half of this, I would have said definitely When yes. I was doing the good bits. <laughs> When you're doing the <laughs> I feel like it's a for me a five because a five a five because I she just is so supremely competent at getting on when it seems like Henry isn't five for me. Yeah, it's tricky. Just, I I think I'm inclined to mark her down more than I am to mark her up. It's one of those where her positives are her negatives. You know, the reason that she succeeds in many ways is because she is so committed to just protecting the family interest. She doesn't yeah. really care yeah, about yeah. the subjectivity bit, I don't think. This wouldn't have been what she was after. Mm. But I mm. think that tells in just how incredibly unpopular she is. So I'm going to mark her down for a four for subjectivity. I think she'd be able to manage the government effectively but I don't think you'd feel enamoured of her if she was your queen. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's like having an incredibly competent government in power whose politics you don't agree with. You know, you, they'll deal with a crisis. <laughs> so, uh, four for me, a five from you, that's nine for subjectivity. Longevity. So, Eleanor was Queen Consort of England from the 14th of January... 1236 to the 16th of November 1272 which is 36.83 years mm, that's good she was then mm. queen mother until her death on the 24th of June 1291 which was another 18.58 years so that would make for 55.41 years of queenship which is very impressive though her time as queen mother only gets half marks so take 9.29 off the top 46.12 years of queenship that actually counts to her score. And it's a very impressive score of 17.5 out of 20. Oof! Is that the biggest pre-modern So it's times? the best one that we've had thus far, and it's the third best overall. Dynasty, not the program. So Eleanor has four children who survive Henry III. Uh, they also had a fifth child, uh, in 1253, a daughter called Catherine. She seems to have had some form of uh, disability, and uh, both Henry and Eleanor are stricken with grief when, sadly, she died just four years old. Mm. Uh, but that means the score that Eleanor gets credit for is four children who survive Henry III. Um, so that gives her a dynasty score of 14 out of 20, which is the joint 16th best overall. Mm, and overall, that gives her a grand total of 56.5. Where's that, that is joint sixth so far. That is mm. very good. But it's not all about the score. Does yeah. she have that certain something, that great achievement, the star quality that we call... Rex Factor! I feel like my bubble's been burst. 
You were all set until I told you how much everybody hated and her. And for what quite sound reason. <laughs> 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 I'm disappointed, G-Man. I mean... Oh, but imagine if she'd Boudicca'd the life off those uh, of that invasion. Because I think it was interesting when you were doing your examples of the films and you were saying D-Day... Well, no, it's a D, you know, D-Day, Chariots of yeah. Fire. I think ultimately the problem was that yeah. it was just Chariots of Fire. She was just running along the beach rather than actually... <laughs> <laughs> And maybe she was just as rubbish as that film. I mean, in her favour, you know, she's a very strong, very influential queen consort. She's probably the most powerful that we've seen in about 100 years in terms of actually when she was queen consort as opposed to being queen mother. She does show incredible leadership during the Second Barons' War. And, you know, it is it is disappointing that she doesn't get that army over because you feel like that is the thing that would have switched it if she had got the army over that's a, yeah. a a Rex Factor moment. The downside is that she doesn't get the army over. It's Edward that gets the royal victory rather than Eleanor. And she's incredibly unpopular and partly responsible for the parents' war happening in the first place. Mm. And it does give yeah. a bit of a knock to queens, the fact that we've got all these foreign queens to come and they're now not going to have their relatives uh, coming with them. Edward thinks, well, if I've learned one thing for my mother, it's not to let that happen again. Yeah, it's so nearly, isn't it? It could have been something you definitely want to repeat. Mm. Look at this safety we had here. When Henry was locked up, we had this excellent queen, blah, blah, blah. Oh, well, she sets it up for Edward to refine thing, to refine those skills <laughs> into one tall, sexy package. <laughs> the fact that she's so unpopular and that she's a factor in the Barons' War and all this sort of stuff... She could still have got the Rex factor if she'd beaten the Barons, like she so nearly did. Well, we don't know yeah. what would have happened if she got the army over, of course. That's not a guarantee that she'd have won, but it would have been amazing if she had. Oh, yeah. What a moment. And it's interesting, having made that comparison with Matilda of Boulogne, of course, Matilda of Boulogne, as you said, when Stephen was captured, she takes control of that army. She doesn't have to bring it over, and it is already there, but she is able to stop the Empress Matilda being crowned and she is ultimately actually able to get her husband out and restore the status quo. So we have seen this role done by a consort before, and it have been done successfully. Oh, I think I think I agree. <laughs> so it's a no from yeah, me. no, and it's a no, no from no, Ali. No from Ali. Oh, I really wanted to though. I know. I'm sorry. Correspondence corner. So that was the life and consortship of Eleanor of Provence, and she did not have the Rex Factor. Let us know what you thought about her and if you agreed with our decision. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram, where we are at Rex Factor Pod. Like the Rex Factor Podcast Facebook page or email rexfactorpodcast at hotmail.com. And remember to send in your uh, episode image, your hashtag consort cards. We haven't had any of these for a while, and obviously we've not actually been podcasting for a while, but... We're back in place now, so get us an episode image for Eleanor and any of the other Queen consorts, if you fancy it. Yeah. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe on whatever podcast provider you use. Alternatively, you can uh, support us financially, donate monthly, join the Privy Council, and get lots and lots of bonus content. Uh, and to do that, remember, you now go to patreon.com forward slash Rex Factor. And if you are a patron on Podbean at the moment and it's June, remember that in July it will only be on Patreon, so you'll need to switch over. And we've got some new Privy Councillors to welcome to the fold Catherine Cully, Marcello Armando, Suzanne Stockton, John KB, A. Arscott, 
Andy Orball, IKA Plan 1721, Processed Cheese, <laughs> Chelsea Cook, MJN Egrin, Emmy Lou 83, Batgirl Alley, Shanna 1003, Chris Double, Joey Harlandross, Hazelnut Cereal, mm. Lady of America, and someone whose name was in the script for the Eldgith of Mercia episode, but for some reason I didn't read her out, huh. even though it was in my notes. A big thank you and welcome, belatedly, to Catherine Coffey. Hey. Um, do we really have a, a, a privy councillor called Smelly Cheese? Processed Cheese. Processed Cheese. That's great. Oh, put him in charge of catering. <laughs> Uh, and now some messages from Privy Councillors. First up, Rachel Cullum. It's been fantastic to listen over the past year or so and has kept me entertained on many a walk and bike commute. I even listened to the Edward the Elder episode in early labour as a distraction. Ooh. Unfortunately, it didn't help much. Oh, I can imagine. I mean, even my wife found my voice annoying, so I don't know what it would be like for someone else. Poor, no oh dear. Next up, Guy Lawful. I know I'm very late to join the rest of the council. My cousin has been telling me about you for years now, but I only just got into the podcast in the last three months or so. Keep up the fantastic work. Cheers. Doug, Lulu and Lexi say, Hello. I was recommended your podcast a year ago and have now caught up, so, to, so decided to join the Privy Council to get more episodes. I'm looking forward to Isabella, the She-Wolf of France. Ah, oh, well, welcome. Not, welcome. Not too far away from her now, the next miniseries. Mm. Uh, a few other quickies from Privy Councillors. David Thompson says, Keep it going, guys, from a loyal listener in Hadley, Essex. Hey, good castle. Well, I mean, not much left, but haunting. Dramatic. Mm, that's the word. Punk Rock Mum says, Long-time listener and finally a PC member. Love you guys. Stay safe. Cheers, dude. And finally, Laura McKenzie. This podcast has become one of my absolute faves. You guys are brilliant. I can't wait to listen to the special episodes. Cool. Yeah. Well, that is the good thing, isn't it? All that, all that other content. Privy Chambers, Rex Flicks where we watch films, special episodes, the feature length stuff, pub quizzes, there's all sorts in the Privy Council. Oh, yeah. And finally, another consort limerick from Louise Brimacombe. Oh, super duper. This time for Adeliza of Louvain. Which one was she? Adeliza, King Henry's young bride, spent 15 fruitless years by his side. Though he stopped his affairs, she gave him no heirs, but had seven kids after he died. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, very good. So that's all from us and uh, Eleanor of Provence, who didn't quite manage to uh, do enough to get herself the Rex Factor. We'll be back next time with the first consort of Edward I. And confusingly for Ali, it's another Eleanor, this time Eleanor of Castile. Dun, dun, dun. Lovely. See you next time. Cheerio.